This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. So on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. Do you want to just tell listeners sure. who you are? Yes. So my name is Julia Doubleday. I am um, a progressive activist. I've been working on progressive causes since at least since 2015. That's when I first went and worked for Bernie Sanders when he was running for president. I've done a fair amount of campaigns all across the country, like Democratic uh, Party campaigns, usually working for progressive challengers. Um, and then also did a bunch of issue advocacy, usually on the climate side. So I worked for Greenpeace and Sierra Club. Um, and I, as of now, I have a substack called The Gauntlet. It is focused on COVID. I started this a bit over a year ago, and it was really done as a uh, sort of desperate response um, to the fact that the silence is very loud. The silence right. around COVID is very loud on all parts of the political spectrum. Um, prior to starting this Substack, I had messaged a lot of people who had already had big platforms, both um, you know, people on the like podcast reporting side, people who are more prominent lefties, progressives, people who um, are just straight up Democrats and, and people who write for things like the Washington Post and New York Times, just trying to to um, get people interested in what's happening and kind of get them to see that this narrative that we were fed, that COVID's over, that it's no big deal, isn't really lining up with reality. But I really had no success in getting nobody wants anybody. To hear it. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to hear it. I mean, I had a few, I'm not going to name names, but like I had a no. few like somewhat prominent podcasters get back to me and be like, oh yeah, that's interesting. Never talked about it again. Um, and so I, I kind of just started this to get my frustration out um, because I was already doing so much research and I already had so much information um, that I, that I knew in my head about it, that um, people around me were like, you should, you know, you should write this up. So I started that Substack a little over a year ago. Um, I'm really now continuing to cover the developments as there's more and more awareness that COVID didn't go away. I do think we're seeing with this winter a little bit more of this like creeping sensation of like, okay, I mean, are we all getting COVID again? Like, right. how, is this going to happen? How often is this going to happen? Like what's going on here? Um, and in particular, the long COVID crisis as well, which cannot be separated from the larger COVID constant reinfection crisis. Right. Yeah. I, uh, well, I just, yeah, I'm a nurse, so I, uh, you know, got to experience awesome. this firsthand. I was in the hospitals, and I was actually, um, you can hear this other places, I was cross-trained to a biocontainment unit at my hospital in 2019, oh, wow. uh, which was set up to deal with uh, Ebola specifically, that they could take some number of Ebola patients there if uh, that was to become a thing, and I think they had some funding uh, for that. But, like, it, it, it was the same thing back then. Um you know, I said, why is everything on this unit like out of date and the autoclave doesn't work and this doesn't work? It's like, oh, we have this great system in place and <laughs> everything will uh, will uh, come together at the right time because all these people know what they're doing. And I'm like, 
So you're going to solve all the problems once you already have <laughs> a right. crisis and once you already have patients that you need to deal with. That doesn't seem like it makes any sense. And of course, that was like right before <laughs> uh the, that was like october 2019 wow. or something and it's wow. like and then all this stuff happens and it's like and of course they were just as ill prepared as of course and and know. the thing is they're still ill prepared oh, now absolutely. i think i think one of the things that is really not well understood um particularly on the left because i know like i there's a lot of people who are missing an action on this in the left right. um i think that even for those on the left that just really want to shut their ears to it and not deal with it and they don't want to mask, I do think a lot of them would be really horrified to understand what's happening in our hospitals. So this right. complete lack of infection control, which is really a, um, there's a lot of factors that have led to this. Yeah. Um, one of them, of course, is the first the Trump administration, now the Biden administration, this bipartisan effort to say, it's fine to get COVID. You're going to be right. fine if you get COVID. So when people hear that in their personal lives, even if they're trained medical professionals, when they're constantly hearing that, when they're constantly seeing that nobody's taking any precautions, right. nobody is making any effort to prevent COVID infection, they end up passing that on to their patients. Not, not everyone. I work with some really, I've worked with, talked with a lot of some um, really like angry doctors and nurses who are trying to get airborne right. infection control protocols in healthcare. But for the most part, as of right now, you have hospitals, healthcare facilities, they are not controlling COVID infections. And right. to be clear, you know, if you listen to the CDC guidance, there's never been a point at which the CDC said, hey, you know, all those vulnerable people we said we had to protect from COVID, they can get it now too. That's yeah. never <laughs> been the case. Right. So like this entire idea that like a hospital that's full of vulnerable people, that's full of people with cancer, right. it's full of people who are recovering from surgery, full of people who just had a heart attack, the idea that they can just get COVID because it's no big deal, it, it has nothing right. to do with reality. Um, and people are being killed by this right. policy, by the fact that they're not doing infection control, um, by the fact that uh, nurses and doctors have also received years and years of propaganda at this point that it's fine to get COVID, it's not going to hurt you. And also this really long history of not believing in airborne transmission which like right. which was from the beginning you know which is from the beginning basically... and i would say that is like one of the biggest scandals of the last few years that is very much not understood by the public so right i'll just give you like a two second like yeah overview of what happened so when covid was first found to be spreading the who came out and said uh it's not airborne and actually, very specifically, one of the doctors said it is airborne. And then somebody leaned over to him and said, no, don't say that. And he was like, no, 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 it's not airborne. It's not airborne. So what was happening at the higher up levels is that there was a lot of debate. And there were people who right away were concerned that it was fully airborne. Now, right. as I'm sure you know, as a nurse, droplet spread, there are certain guidelines to prevent droplet spread. There are things like cover your cover your sneeze with your elbow right. and right. where you can wear surgical masks that doesn't form a seal around your face and stand six feet away from someone because their droplets aren't going to get on you. All of that is droplet infection control guidance for what was a fully airborne disease. So what right. COVID can do is, let's say I have COVID and I'm in the elevator and I get out of the elevator, somebody else gets in the elevator. We're never even in the same place. We never even right. see each other. They can get COVID from me. Right. So a lot of people don't understand that. They're like, oh, if you're alone in your building, in your hallway, why are you wearing a mask? Right. Air Aerosol particles hang in the air like smoke. 
So yeah, I would I was literally the only person in my hospital. I would go like I would take my lunch break very briefly. Mm-hmm. I would remove my mask, but I would go to I was going to a part of the hospital that was like under construction. I worked I worked nights too. So I'd oh, go to wow. a part of the hospital that was like under construction. <laughs> And yeah. I would go to the break room there yeah. and I would use the break room there and have my, uh, you know, my lunch or whatever brief but, little food. And like nobody had been in there for, you know, a long, long time. But everybody else was just like, oh, what's the big deal? Let's all go in the I, break yeah, room and have I, a party. I think the reason this is not it's not fully understand how scandalous this was, is that my assumption before I read more about it was that they had some preponderance of evidence right. to believe that it was droplet spread right. and that and they were mistaken but as soon as they figured it out they corrected themselves that's not what happened what happened was very very poor assumptions based on very very old and bad science so right. they did not want it to be airborne and they just they just went with droplet there was no evidence showing droplet spread of covid-19 right. um and there's a there was a really good piece in um I think it might have been in Vice News, but okay. maybe not. I'll have to double check. But it it was about this. It was called like how a how a hundred year mistake, you know, led to this massive right. COVID screw up. Um, they had decided COVID was droplet simply because there's a so called like droplet dogma in medicine mm. that doctors sort of didn't believe anything was fully airborne. Mm. Um, there's a there's a researcher, his name is Jose Luis Jimenez, and he wrote a really amazing research paper about this called um, uh, Reasons for Reluctance. It's something like Reasons for Reluctance in the medical community to accept airborne spread. And that, that legacy of right. uh, a century of belief that most diseases are not airborne is still with us. So that's why you'll see, even as these hospitals are reinstating mask mandates, they're again wearing these surgical masks that don't prevent infection with COVID-19. They're better than nothing, but they don't form a seal. So they're not, um, they shouldn't be used for airborne infection control. It's very, very hard to communicate about how to prevent COVID when you have medical professionals using the wrong tools. Um, and, and this, this all comes out of this refusal of this administration and of the CDC to actually communicate about what's happening. You know, the the degree to which people were educated about wearing surgical masks and um, standing six feet away from each other, there should have been an even louder campaign to correct the misinformation, but they're embarrassed. They don't want to say, hey, all that stuff we told you was wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Standing six foot away, feet away from someone does not, it's is not going to help It's you. just a made up yeah, number. It's just, it's it has nothing to do with like the science. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm not even in the hospital anymore because it's completely unsafe, both mm-hmm. in a, from a staffing perspective and a PPE perspective. So I mm-hmm. had to get out of there. So I'm doing other things now. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, at the beginning when there was supposedly debate on what was going on, the, you know, the Minnesota Nurses Association at the time was saying, we need to use the precautionary principle. This is the basis of nursing, yep. right? That we need to start out from, you know, making the assumption that, uh, uh, we want to fully protect ourselves from the worst possible, you know, outcome. The you know, assume it's airborne until there's really good solid proof that it's not. Right. Uh, when there's a when it seems to be quite likely that it is. So I, I you know, I want to get into some of your newer stuff with uh, the gauntlet, but I wanted to uh, kind of go back to about a year ago. We're actually hearing about uh, about it now. 
Um, I think that the, the way that I came to know about you was uh, one of your gauntlet posts was picked up by Slate Magazine. It was titled Billionaires at Davos Don't Think COVID is a Cold. And uh, they're talking about Davos again now um, in, the, in the news. You know, it's been a year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like January 20th of last year. Um, and I think it's one of the strongest arguments that was made during during the whole thing is that, you know, again, the people that are telling us, um, you it's know, totally that fine, SARS, yeah. co- you know, COVID-2 virus and COVID-19 disease are fine. Uh, these, these same people are not... Uh, 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 showing that same level of concern for themselves. They're a lot more concerned when it comes to themselves and their families. Um, can you talk a, just a little bit about writing that one a year ago about Davos and some of the stuff they were doing? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Davos had really great COVID protocols in place, um, sort of the, the kind of protocols that we might hope would um, exist to protect working people, to protect children in school, um, every single person that attended Davos was given a, a PCR test before entering. Um, they had electronic bracelets that um, once they had a negative PCR test, they were allowed to scan and enter. Um, if their test came back positive or inconclusive, their um, access was not granted. If it was positive, obviously their access was completely um, rescinded. So they were not allowed to enter Davos with a positive PCR test. Um, Along with that, we also saw, although they didn't talk publicly much about this, we saw in every room, high quality HEPA air filtration devices. So um, air quality is one of the things, probably the most important thing along with education and the provision of these tools for free um clean air is one of the most important thing that governments could be doing and they obviously are not communicating about it um so there are a couple components of clean air one is ventilation that means bringing outdoor air inside and and changing the air that's in the room and then filtration is um, cleaning the air that's already in here. So I, I have a window open for ventilation. I have a HEPA filter for filtration. They're two different aspects of keeping the air clean. Both of them drastically reduce your risk of infection, not only with COVID, but with any virus. Right. Um, and as of right now, there are no requirements um, in public buildings to use the level of ventilation and filtration that would reduce viral spread. So like, um, you know, HEPA filtration devices are much, much more effective um, than some of the filtration devices that are currently in public buildings. So I think the standard right now is that you want your filters in a building to have a minimum rating of MERV 6, but viruses are not filtered until you get up to MERV 13. Okay. Um, and and relatedly, um, if you look at the CO2 levels in a room, that is a proxy measure for how much the air in the room is being exchanged. Um, there have been studies that have found that once you get above 1,000 parts per million CO2 in the room, you're going to be affecting the cognitive processing of the people in that room. Now, I bring this up because not only are our workplaces not required to keep CO2 um, below a certain threshold, but schools are not either. So schools are a great example. We have a lot of like um, volunteers going into schools with CO2 monitoring devices, and they will find readings not only above 1,000 parts per million, but above 2,000, above 4,000 parts per million. And 
Meanwhile, you have this culture really embracing this idea that kids have to get sick. It's good for them to get sick. All of this being pushed on parents to sort of get them to not look any further into this. Um, the reality is, if we wanted to drastically reduce the spread of COVID and other viruses, we simply need to upgrade. We need to use engineering information that we already have, engineering we already have, technology we already have. We just need to implement it. Um, and I think it's no accident that this is not being talked about because they want to create this nihilistic acceptance of constant reinfection. Um, so sorry, that was a bit of a, a well, I was just going to say that, that, you know, Medhi Hassan before he was fired, like one, of, one of the things that he did, well, he did have a long piece about COVID specifically talking about schools, you know, mm -hmm. so number one schools, you know, weren't good places for learning before the the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic because of their poor air quality, mold, bugs, you know, a million different, you know, lack of air conditioning mm -hmm. in a lot of situations, like who could learn in that environment. And then, uh, you know, he talked about, there was like a hundred and something billion dollars set aside for air quality improvements. I think a lot of that was supposed to take place at the state level. And most of that money was never even used. It yeah. just like got reabsorbed back into the you know, government and will probably be yeah. given as tax credits to the rich people in the future or something. I mean, I don't know, but it's like, it's like there was literally like, and I try to tell people, I'm like, there literally is money was, is still to some extent money on the table to do this air quality stuff. It's not even that bit, you know, we just have to get them to actually do it. But it's like, again, like people are just over, <laughs> they're over that. Yeah. They don't want to talk about it. We moved on. The pandemic was years ago and now we're, you know. Right. It's very psychological for people. It's, I it's mean, rough, yeah. Um, the, the air quality piece of it, I think, um, education would be really key to getting this done and right. there's no education. It never got the talked the, about the, 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 the messaging that we are getting from the top very, very consistently is, um, is figure it out yourself. Individualism, right. everything is individualized. Right. You know, this is sort of the Koch brothers dream of how society should look is right. there is no public health. There is no mm -hmm. public transit. There is no public health care. There's only you individually pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, which by the way, is a terrible way to deal with a pandemic, obviously. Right. right. Um, but to, to get back to what you were saying about Davos. Yes. Yeah, so um, PCR testing, they had clean air. Um, they also had a, a like a hotline that you could call if you were having any symptoms. And keep in mind that this was in early 2023. So about a year ago, right. um, this is well past the point when all of the world governments are saying, you know, send your kids in, they can get it 15 right. times in the next 10 years and that'll be fine. You know, again, not, not at all exercising the precautionary principle because we have no idea what happens to people when they get it 15 times because right. it's never happened before. Um, but yeah, so this, this, um, decision to protect people from COVID. Um, we also see this in a lot of other high profile um, events. So like when you see people at the Emmys, at the Oscars, a lot of times they will have a test requirement. Um, same thing with Joe Biden. So if you want to get in to see Joe Biden, you need to take a COVID PCR test to this day. So right. just a few months ago, there was um, somebody with the Israeli delegation tested positive for COVID. Kareen, the the uh, press secretary was questioned. Oh well, is was this an exposure for Biden? And she said, No. Everyone who meets with the president is PCR tested. Now, people are not PCR tested for the flu 
when they meet with Biden. They're not right. they're not tested for the, for colds when they meet with Biden. They're tested for COVID-19 because they know it's not a flu. They right. know it's not a cold. And even if you want to make the argument, well, oh, well, they're just so busy, so they can't afford to get COVID. You know who else can't afford to get COVID because they're so busy? Single moms, people who are the only breadwinner for their family and have no paid days off. You right. know, it's really disturbing to me the way some like lefty people don't think about the fact that sickening other people, even if they don't have long term impacts from it, which you don't know, but even if they don't, not everybody has a work from home job where they can take unlimited paid time off. Most people do not. So it is a workers rights issue. And you do need to be mindful of spreading germs when there are basic interventions that you can afford that you can use to keep other people safe in your community. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I I reached out to you after your December 22nd post on the gauntlet, um, which was the one, um, how the press manufactured consent for never ending Mm -hmm. COVID reinfections, which of course, you know, that manufacturing consent piece comes from Noam Chomsky and I forget the other author's name in the the book. Uh, <laughs> we offered, we I know it always just author. goes on, even yeah. though I, I read bad. it. I don't I remember. Bad, yeah, it's, it's like you know, and <laughs> it comes from that book, which is a great book that everybody should read about how um, you know the press uh, sets the um, the 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 kind of guide rails of what is acceptable mm-hmm. conversation and what we're going to talk about and when you know when we're going to be done talking about COVID. Um, your most recent. Uh, uh, gauntlet uh, posted the Senator Tammy Baldwin's uh, chief to long yes. COVID patients stop annoying me or else. Um, <laughs> yes. You talked a little bit about the manufacturing consent part, I think. Uh, do you want to talk a, a little bit about that? And then, you know, your most recent uh, yes. uh, post as well, what, what you're discussing? Yeah. So the manufacturing consent piece, I had been wanting to do it for a while. It was a bit of a um, dive into the New York Times archives and, um, you know, other other newspapers as well. I think it's really, really instructive to go back and really look at what we were promised versus what the reality is now. Right. So the piece starts out talking about an interview Fauci did in late summer, early fall 2021. So this is sometime after the vaccines. Um, we're seeing break, what are called breakthrough infections, but we're not seeing this um, massive wave yet post-vaccines. Right. And he has asked, okay, well, what is this? How, how can we know when it's time to fully go back to normal? Because at this point, there's still people wearing masks. There's still masks on airplanes. Um, and, and people are asking, you know, okay, well, we're vaccinated now. So what when's the point going to be where we can stop doing any sort of interventions? And Fauci says, um, well, as of right now, we have about, I think it was like 75,000, 80,000 cases a day. And we want to get that number a lot lower. So once we're at the point where we have more like 10,000 cases a day and ideally more like 3,000 cases a day, we can feel really comfortable saying we're out of the pandemic and we can take those masks off. And I contrasted that with with where we actually are. The day that I wrote the piece, we had over 900,000 new infections every day. And as of right now, we are between 1.5 and 2 million cases per day. So you need to acknowledge that what the future we were promised, 3,000 cases a day, because most people have a good amount of immunity, does not match up with the future we are living in. Because as it turned out, there is no long-term immunity to COVID-19, not from infection, 
not from vaccination. And that means that pursuing a herd immunity strategy, which is what we did, right. was an incorrect approach and an approach that is continuing to harm people, continuing to disable people. And there is no end in sight to these forever gigantic waves. This is not a public health. Um, this, this is not dealing with the virus. At this point, it is trying to sweep it under the rug. Um, and if you go back to those early days of the vaccine, I also quoted an interview with Rochelle Walensky, where she is talking about what they had recently found out about the vaccine. A lot of people do not remember that this was said. And as much as I am, you know, I am very pro-vaccine. I have all my boosters. Um, but I don't think it's helpful when we gaslight anti-vaxxers about things that actually did happen. Rochelle Walensky went on TV and she said, we got amazing news. Uh, this was on the Rachel Maddow show, and I have it fully quoted in the piece and linked. Um, we got amazing news. We already knew the vaccine was going to reduce the risk of severe disease and death, but we've just got the data back and it's showing that if you get vaccinated, you're not going to catch COVID-19. You're not going to catch it and you're not going to spread it. And she's explaining why this is such amazing news. She says, this means we can end the pandemic with the vaccines. Now that is, is true. If it had been a completely sterilizing vaccine where people could not catch it after they were vaccinated, we would have been able to end the pandemic that way. The problem is when it turned out that it was not a sterilizing vaccine and we started to get breakthrough cases and those breakthrough cases slowly became more and more and more common because of this really fast rate of mutation of the virus, that, um, that statement she made that because the vaccines are sterilizing, we can end the pandemic was never unpacked or walked back by the press. They never said, okay, so what we had said about the pandemic, quote unquote, being over, now that's not correct. Because as it turns out, these vaccines don't prevent infection. And what we're going to continue to see is a really, really fast rate of mutation around vaccine protection. A lot of people are walking around because they got vaccinated two, three years ago thinking, oh, I'm vaccinated. I don't need to worry about COVID. The virus that you got vaccinated against in 2021 is extremely genetically different from the currently circulating virus. And the reason that you may have gotten COVID since then and may have gotten COVID in the last six months and been okay afterwards is not because you were vaccinated. It's probably because you were just lucky, young, healthy, and lucky. And one thing that I think people don't remember is that even in 2020, of course, there were plenty of young people that got COVID and survived. Um, you shouldn't assume that you are, are really well protected with a vaccine that is now three years old. To give you um, just a, a, one piece of data that really stuck with me, um, they did vaccine, they released some vaccine efficacy data um, looking at people who had the original series and the first booster. And for people who had the original series and the first booster, once you get out beyond three months, so above three months past the first booster, your risk of hospitalization was reduced 29% versus a fully unvaccinated person. That's better than nothing. But people are treating it like it's an 100% reduction. Right. And they're treating it like it's an indefinitely 100% reduction when even after three months, it's significantly faded. So if you had a vaccine three years ago, you're not, you're, it's not any different really right. than getting COVID before the vaccines. You're, you're vaccinated against an entirely genetically different virus and vaccine protection fades over time.
Well, yeah, anecdotally, my my mom and her husband got their uh, most recent boosters. Uh, what was it like in December or something? And like with a couple weeks after they got their boosters, they, uh, you know, took a risk, whatever, a, uh, a, a, uh, what they thought was a minor risk, whatever. And they ended up getting COVID and they both got really pretty sick. He got especially pretty sick and he was fatigued for quite a while afterwards. Um, and then on the, on the, um, on the study side of things, I, it was last year. I think I just found the study. It was the, uh, uh, in the Journal of Theoretical Biology from February last year, COVID-19 endgame from pandemic to endemic, a vaccination reopening, evolution in low and high vaccinated populations. And it was an interesting study. They had a lot of, you know, uh, things that were probably beyond my level of comprehension. But in the final analysis, there was like one line in there that, you know, really didn't get that much coverage, which was basically like, in a lot of scenarios, we can't really see any difference between the pandemic stage of the of the virus right. and the endemic stage. If given these constants, they basically look exactly the same. So and right. then people are like, well, asking me, well, when's the pandemic going to end? And I'm like, well, it might not ever end. I mean, at least given the scenarios that we find ourselves in now, it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, this really emergency situation is going to end. Um yeah, I know the uh, the la the last thing I'm going to ask, and I, and 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 you can talk about whatever you want, but I just wanted to make sure that we we covered this. Um, you know, people are trying to assess their risk because we are left with this kind of like figure it out approach since you know most yep. of the institutions have abandoned us. Um, you know, and 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 you know, it's hard to assess that risk, and part of that is by design. But you know, where are you getting your information, or what do you tell people, or, or how do you? I know BioBot is like somewhere where people are getting stuff right. to kind of do an assessment. You know, the CDC doesn't have some statistics still. You know, so anyway, you can you can keep going, and then what do you uh, what are you recommending for folks as far as how to get some? You know, so I I do change my behavior based on COVID levels, but right. not a not a lot. So I got to say that like Same. I very consistently wear a high quality mask in indoors. Um, I'm just going to do that forever. It's not a big deal to me anymore. Um, I, depending on your risk, um, you know, how, how, um, your feeling about, um, your risk of what may happen to you when you get COVID, um, you may not be comfortable doing certain things that I still do. Like I, I do dine outdoors, but I will say that when I dine outdoors, one, I make sure that, you know, it's an open air place, not like a tent with a bunch of, you know, sides on it. Right. I also generally only see people that also do COVID safety. So they also mask indoors and we test before meeting up. I do want to say that I understand that there's an accessibility issue here, you know, like tests. There are some, I want to say there are some cheap ones online. If you look for FlowFlex, that's one of the best, um, rapid tests and you can get a set of five for like 20 bucks nice but rapid tests are not as accurate as something like a lucera or a, a metrics home test those are pcr accurate tests and because we're in this huge surge right now i have been buying luceras and metrics tests every metrics test is 25 dollars. um so when i want to see let's say i want to see three friends you know we each have to pay 25 dollars. um that's not really sustainable for most people, especially, right. you know, I don't have kids in school. I don't have, um, I'm not going into a workplace where I'm constantly interacting with the public. Um, but I will say, yeah, I mean, I think being, trying to be 
as consistent as you can masking indoors is it's just a good idea um i i can understand that it's a little bit um annoying but that being said i mean if you make a little bit of an effort to be a little creative about how you see people and where you see them i think people will be surprised to find that it's it's less onerous than they sort of feel like it is and i think at one of the reasons it has become so onerous is because of people's reluctance to confront that COVID still exists. So I mm -hmm. think because there's this huge psychological piece of people don't want to hear it, that's where you get this really emotional, angry reaction to the idea of doing any kind of COVID safety. Now, I personally, when I talk to people and I ask them to test, I've always had a good experience with that. But I do know people who have said, hey, you know, I will you mind testing? And they freak out. To me, that is like very clearly a psychological denial response that like they just can't hear the word COVID. Um, anyway, this this is just sort of giving you an overview of, of right. the kind of precautions I do. Sure. Um, Biobot bio is probably the best way to tell where cases are because that is, like you said, it's um, wastewater data and the wastewater data, unlike our states and our wonderful uh, healthcare system does not lie about how um how right. much virus there is in the wastewater um there's a guy uh his name is jp wyland it's w-e-i-l-a-n-d he's an infectious disease modeler and he um has been very accurate in the way that he has modeled um the rise of different variants and sort of predicted what day they're going to peak he's been super useful um to kind of planning things in advance so trying to know for the next four weeks how bad our case is going to get he is quite quite good at um, modeling what's going to happen with different variants becoming predominant um so i would definitely recommend like following him on twitter uh he predicted the peak of this wave around january 10th and i think he was he was right on the money it's now coming down again um, but keep in mind we're still at a very very high baseline so as of right now cases are extremely high. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that um, when you see the media talking about cases peaking and coming down, you should keep in mind that from the case peak date, you're not going to hit hospitalization peak for two weeks after that. And you're not right. going to hit the death peak until three weeks after that. So they do this sort of little uh, trick, bait and switch, where it's like, oh, cases are coming down now. It's no big deal. And we're, we only have X number of deaths per day. Right now we have over 2000 right. deaths a week, that number is going to continue to go up for three more weeks. And right. we don't know how high that's going to get yet. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah, I think, you know, especially for people that are maintaining that, you know, standard level of safety, kind of knowing the caseload is going to be especially helpful. Like let's say people have to go to the dentist or they have Absolutely. other medical things that yep. require access to their face and things like that. They're going to want to know like, okay, the cases are like as low as possible. I'm, you know, like putting myself at as low risk as I possibly can. Um, if they, you know, if they're still trying to maintain a reasonable level of safety for themselves, their family, et cetera. Um, you know, I really appreciate the, the sub stack. It's really great. I encourage folks to, um, you know, subscribe and if they can contribute obviously as well, that would be great. Um, you know, is we have just a little bit of time left. Is there anything else that you want to share? Um, well, so there was a health committee um, oh, hearing yeah, today on long COVID. We didn't get much into long COVID, but I would really encourage people to 
um, listen to what long COVID patients are saying, because long COVID is a very, very common outcome of a COVID infection. It can happen to anybody. And we don't yet know, fully know or understand what it's going to take to get people back to their prior level of health, if that's even possible. Um, there right. are a lot of different theories for the underlying uh, mechanisms of what's causing long COVID. Viral persistence is is a major out front as one of the potential causes of long COVID symptoms. So what that means is similar to the way when you get infected with HIV, you have a short acute illness, but then many years later, you have a destroyed immune system. We're right. seeing that people are getting COVID and they still have virus in their system. And we're not sure how that's affecting them in the long term, but we what we know so far is very, very concerning. So we need to take that seriously. We need to reconceptualize COVID, not as just an acute illness that, that lasts a few days, but as something that um, has the potential to stay with you for many years and do things that we don't even fully understand yet. So um, I think, you know, if we had more time, I would get more into what we're well, seeing. We have chicken pox and we have shingles, you know, exactly. so, so that's an, an example of that's much later. So we now know that uh, acute infections, things like, you know, you have an Epstein-Barr infection, it can later lead to, to MS. We know that chickenpox later leads to shingles. Um, actually, through the amount of research that's going into what's happening to people after COVID, it's becoming more and more clear that a lot of viral infections that we view as basically not anything to worry about can have these long-term health impacts. So potentially, I think what's kind of really sad about the fact that the left is not um, engaging with what's happening and we're not engaging with the science and we're not engaging with the um, political impacts of this is that we do have this tremendous opportunity not only to um, control COVID infections and make it safer for people to enter any public space, right. um, but in the process of sort of getting things like clean air and educating people about the kind of masks that do work and giving them free tests and, and all of the resources that are needed, um, we could potentially eliminate a lot of airborne viruses. I mean, um, when I was talking earlier about how there was so-called droplet dogma in medical science for decades, we actually did not know that flus and colds also are fully airborne until this um, crisis where mm. so much money and research went into figuring out how COVID was spread. We now know that a lot of diseases that we, you know, that whole lesson you learn as a kid, make sure you, you know, cover your mouth to be polite, cover your coughs. That doesn't work because they're not droplet spread. Obviously it's polite. That's nice. Mm. But it now makes sense how you have these massive outbreaks of illness every year, regardless of whether people are going to, you know, cover mm -hmm. their mouth or their sneeze or whatever. Um, so, I mean, we are at the precipice of understanding how viruses can impact us long term. And, you know, I'm not going to uh, go too deep on what's happening with long COVID patients, but we have seen, um, you know, there are damage. There is damage after COVID to people's organs, to people's hearts, to people's brains. So one thing I hear very commonly is people saying, "Well, how can long COVID be so common?" Because I don't know anyone with long COVID. Well, do you know somebody who started getting migraines after COVID? Do you know somebody who had a cardiac arrest randomly after COVID? Do you know somebody who developed a new uh, autoimmune bowel disease after COVID? Do you know somebody who started having seizures after COVID? 
I know people, all of these things. Um, And they don't know they have long COVID because that education piece is missing. Um, There is this really inaccurate view of what COVID is. It's a respiratory disease. And people think if I don't have respiratory issues ongoing, it's not long COVID. Mm -hmm. That's not true. Um, And there are also ways COVID can impact you that you will not be able to necessarily see or experience. So for example, I have a friend who's had it several times and I told her she should get a lymphocyte panel to look at her immune system. Her immune system is damaged from COVID. Her T cells are out of the normal range. So you will not necessarily know that your immune system is not functioning at a high level anymore. You might notice you're getting sick more often. You might notice you're getting every cold. You might notice you're lingering for longer. But unless you go and get that T-cell panel, you're not going to know that COVID did that to you. But that is a form of long COVID. Yeah, I I was just going to say, and the thing with masks too is that they... uh... You know, they have other benefits, like, you know, the same thing with like the uh, clean air um, is, you know, they have uh, they have benefits as well. It's funny because at the beginning of the pandemic, we had uh, N95 masks. And the reason we had N95 masks is because of the wildfire smoke uh, mm-hmm. and the bad air quality mm-hmm. that was going on. Right. And unfortunately, the environmental situation, the bad air quality, the you know wildfires, that's not set to improve either. So, you know, having right. these, um, uh, you know, getting used to wearing a mask is, you know, not a bad idea for a number of reasons, as is having clean air in the buildings for that same reason. You know, people's smoke alarms in like Portland, Oregon were going off during the wildfires because the smoke was so bad again, because you know, the, all that's coming in from outside and there's no purification of the air. Um, so I, uh, uh, want to say that. And then I just, my wife actually just came home from work because somebody at her work tested positive for COVID. She wears a mask and everything, but she was in there the other day. She doesn't go in there that much, but she was in there the other day. And, uh, so now, you know, that's a whole thing as well. And, uh, you know, it's just an ongoing thing and, uh, it doesn't appear to be, uh, significantly improving. Yeah, it's inc- it's incredibly difficult. And what's really, really frustrating, again, we have, you know, we keep hearing we have the tools. We do have a lot of tools to slow the spread, to make it um, less impossible for people to be safe in public. And I, and I do want to stress that not only are many disabled people who cannot afford a COVID infection now unable <laughs> to right. be safe in any public space, we right. also have millions and millions of people living with long COVID who cannot get another COVID infection. And they're being told, if you want to, if you want to be in the public sphere, you now need to just accept that you're going to get COVID again. Even though you were already disabled by COVID, guess what? Every single year you're going to get COVID again. And if you don't like it, shut the fuck up. Right. And I, I also really want to name that the ableism that's happening in leftist spaces is not only incredibly concerning. Um, it's just sad from the perspective of you know, you have absorbed and you are repeating right-wing propaganda. That is what you're doing. You sound like 2020 MAGA people. Well, just stay home. If you're scared, just stay home. I'm tough. COVID can't hurt me. You sound stupid. Like that's not how viruses work. That's not how public health works. That's not how society works. Like if uh, people have been disabled by getting COVID, stop victim blaming them and stand in solidarity with them and demand that public spaces are safe for people to enter because guess what 
you can't get COVID an infinite number of times and not end up with long-term health problems. We already right. know this. There was a recent study in Canada that came out and showed that the the rate, the risk of long COVID after a COVID infection is cumulative. That means that if you got COVID once and you're okay now, and you got COVID twice and you're okay now, or at least you think you're okay, not only is it not a guarantee that you'll be okay after your third, fourth, or fifth infection, your risk is continuing to increase. So this lack of solidarity, this um, othering of people who have been harmed by COVID, this belief that we can just push them out of society and go back to normal, you're only hurting your future self. When you ultimately have health problems from continually reinfecting yourself with COVID because right. you wanted to believe this lie that it was over, you're going to hurt yourself. Well, I really appreciate your time. I, like I said, I recommend everybody check out the gauntlet on Substack. And uh, you have a great day. And again, thanks for sharing all this important information with me and listeners. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Take care, Julia. Bye. Bye-bye. And that's our special interview. Thanks for listening. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.